Media Storm live at the London Podcast Festival, King's Place, London. Now, Media Storm is a news and current affairs podcast, but so often when we're doing our episodes, we find ourselves talking about the wider media, be that films, TV shows, music, etc. And an example of that would be our episode, which was about sexual health and STIs, much to my parents' mortification. We had a screen, a script editor from the Netflix series Sex Education to come on and talk about how much of a role the wider media and pop culture does play in shaping our attitude, our behaviours on these subjects. And on that note, uh, a huge part of the wider media that we often find ourselves referencing is comedy stand-up, comedy podcasts, uh, various comedy shows and you can really communicate such a huge amount through laughter. So that's what we're going to talk about today, the cultural power and responsibility of comedy, so-called cancellation and when, if ever, jokes go too far. So it's time to bring on our guests. Our first guest is a comedian and writer who has gigged across the UK and internationally her show, Ellipsis, enjoyed a sellout run at the Edinburgh Fringe last year, transferred to the Soho Theatre here in London, then bought it, she brought it back up to the Fringe this year, along with another show called Irresponsible. That's right, one woman, two shows. Everyone, welcome to the stage, Isabel Farah! Here she is. Hi, hello. How are we um, recovering from the fringe? It's not been what a month not, now. Not recovered at all. No, <laughs> definitely still. Oh no, um, just about. I think physically, I'm just about there. I'm still kind of like getting out of like fight or flight mode, which I feel like I spent the whole month like just going like huh, flyers posting social media, blah, 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 blah. and then you're like, okay, right, I don't need to do any of that anymore ever again. <laughs> just back to pictures of my food. Our second guest. Our second guest. Wears many hats. Comedian, screenwriter, podcaster. You may have seen her on TV. You might know her little known podcast, The Guilty Feminist, which, yes, is the driving force behind MediaStorm. Please welcome to the stage the OG Guilty Feminist, Deborah Francis White. <laughs> Hi, Deb. You've uh, practically been living at King's Place in, for the last uh, week or so. How have your shows gone? Very, very well. We did a mashup episode with Brown Girls Do It Too called Guil Brown Guilty Feminist Do It Too or Brown Girls Do It Guilty Feminist. I don't know. Uh, that was an eye-opener because I banished my producer slash husband from the building and said he wasn't allowed to listen to the edit so I could speak freely about sex. If you don't know, Brown Girls Do It Too is about sex. And they are just so frank. And I wanted to have a go at that and not going, oh my God, it's so embarrassing to talk about. So I thought, no, I want to be like them. And so I talked frankly about sex in this building. And it was, I have to say, very liberating. Love it. Yeah, listen to the episode. My husband will not be. <laughs> <laughs> he has promised me, if you see him, don't ask, don't tell. <laughs> well, let's kick off, shall we? Okay, so... Comedy and news, they so often merge. Um, we saw this most recently when comedian uh, Joe Lycett went on BBC's Sunday with Laura Koonsberg. Um, we're going to play the clip because I tried to explain it uh, in a practice and it didn't really work. So we're just going to play the clip. What did you make of it? Now have you calmed down? She has to go I'm from not, the I'm campaign to the country. But tell us honestly what you thought. Well, so... Uh, you said earlier that I'm not left or right. I'm actually, I know that there's been criticism in the uh, the mail on Sunday today about 
lefty, liberal, wokey comedians on the BBC. I'm actually very right wing and I loved it. I thought she was very clear. She gave great, clear answers. I know exactly what she's up to. And I think she's uh, most people watching at home who are worried about their bills are going to feel. Point, Joe, forgive me. There's a I'm serious point. I'm not being sarcastic. She said that there was a big package of help coming this week yeah. for people to help she pay their bills. It was very clear what she said, and I, I, I think you know exactly what's going to happen. I think you're reassured. I'm reassured. I think you know the haters will say that you've had 12 years of the Tories, and that we're sort of at the dregs of what they've got <laughs> available, and that Liz Truss is sort of like the backwash of the available MPs. I wouldn't say that because I'm incredibly right-wing, <laughs> but some people might say that. But the consensus, though, in politics is often wrong, right? Yeah. I mean, it's often, it's often wrong, and we often don't know what is going to pan out. Yeah. Well, as, as Liz said there, she said she would be wrong to predict the future, even though loads of people have predicted that we're going to have real issues with paying our energy bills. But, um, you know, I think she's right to just then just sort of basically say, well, let's not predict and see what happens next week. I okay. think she did the right thing there. <laughs> well, there's a lot of laughter here. Um, but there wasn't in Parliament. There wasn't wouldn't... in Parliament. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, an MP got found this so seriously offensive, it was actually raised in Parliament. Like, the issue of comedians being on politics shows was actually raised in Parliament. Um, was this a good way of pointing out the failings, the certain failings that could have been there in Liz Truss's uh, plan? Or, you know, is there a time and a place for comedy? I think it was perfect. <laughs> so I think it was absolutely, like, pitched completely correctly. Also, I can't believe British people are complaining about someone going on TV and being sarcastic. Like... <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I'm sure, like, if you wanted a serious political opinion, why, why did you invite Joe Lycett on? I'm not saying he's not a serious, like, political commentator, but he, he clearly has got some incredible points to make. But if you wanted someone, like, an economist or someone who really, like, seriously is going to look at the cost of living crisis, then get them on, fine. But they probably put him on as probably a little bit, to an extent, the fluff, who wasn't going to make a serious point or maybe didn't have the facts and figures to back it up. But he did exactly what he does perfectly. So, yeah, that was an unfunny answer to it. Yeah, <laughs> but, no, no. <laughs> but, yeah, no, I think it but was But there's a time and a place for comedy, right? Well, yeah. <laughs> I agree because my experience of going on any kind of show where you're asked your opinion is to be so taken down that you can get quite wound up as a comedian... And p particularly, I think I get asked on shows to be Mary Whitehouse. Um, if young people, you may not know who Mary Whitehouse is. So in the 80s, there was a self-styled... I mean, she identified as a housewife, just to be clear. Uh, that was her, her uh, self-identification, so it's not for me to undermine that. But she g got whipped up about increasing sexual content... Uh, on the television, and she she was uh, she was basically banned as filth. And uh, at that time, anybody who was trying to censor was seen to be automatically right wing. And so I find the BBC often call me up, to, and they say, um, "Okay, here's one that I got. There's going to be a Benny Hill fun run. If you're very young and you don't know who Benny Hill is, this is all <laughs> going to take a long time." <laughs> 
He was a comedian uh, from the 70s who uh, ran around lustfully after young women in bikinis. And you'll know his theme tune, which is... And it was always in fast motion. So the Benny Hill fun run was... The idea was women would run around in bikinis and high heels and men would dress up like Benny Hill and run after them. And they'd all Wait, raise... Is this serious? Yeah. <laughs> and they'd all raise money for their charity while the theme tune played. Now... This was like, this was like just before the pandemics. This is recent. And so people, so I got so many, because I got a call from every arm of the BBC going, will you come on? And uh, what do you think this is doing for feminism? Is this right? And they, I got, I got constant phone calls. I was like, yes, it's me again. Yes, Benny Hill fun run, I've heard, yeah. They all wanted me to come on and be Mary Whitehouse and say, ban this filth. And my response to all of them was, you don't understand, I'm a Generation X stand-up comedian. I am not for censorship. And they keep trying to back me into a corner where I say, we shouldn't have these things. And I'm like, if people, what do you want me to say? They're like, well, we want you to say, we've got, we've got some right-wing um, men's rights activist on, and we want you to say, this is horrendous. And I'm like, look, at the, at the end of the day, if people want to put on bikinis and run around in a park, is that doing a lot for the sisterhood? Obviously not. However, if that's their choice, and like I don't think it's it's doing a terrible thing either. It's just some women in bikinis running around a park. And we are now in a point of feminism where we must celebrate our bodies or at least accept them and be happy to put them on display if that's our thing. So I just I'm just like, I don't want to spend all my time asking for people to put clothes on. And I just, it's just, it's just not what I'm riled about. I feel like when I go on those shows, they're trying to get me to get whipped up into a frenzy. So if I were backed into a corner about the Benny Hill fun run, I might do the same. I might go, you know, I might go, well, when's it on? Because I've actually got a lush new bikini. <laughs> and I listen, listen, Benny Hill, what a legend. You know, I might do that because it would piss them off. Because they're wanting me to get very upset about, I'm like, it's, what does it matter? Like, seriously, with the way climate changes, we'll all be underwater in 10 years. Uh, is this our biggest concern? That is interesting. And maybe what the Benny Hill anecdote communicates is that some things that are funny one day and normal one day, tomorrow might be seen as less funny and less normal, or maybe more funny because they were once seen as appropriate. And this is something that comes up in the conversation around comedy and correctness a lot, is this idea that you can't say anything anymore or that that joke wouldn't, you wouldn't get away with it these days. And the implication there is that, is that maybe it's unfair to retrospectively deem something inappropriate when times have changed. But perhaps another way of looking at it is, was it ever actually okay? And what is coming to my mind right now is I'm re-watching, for nostalgic reasons, How I Met Your Mother, which was this noughties sitcom, right? Me and my brother used to watch it late at night and we found it hilarious. And I don't remember ever, I don't remember thinking, that it was inappropriate. A horror show. Yeah, or a horror show. Barney Stinson, he's a character whose comedic profile is based off ever more creative ways of sexually manipulating women into bed. In one episode, he dresses up as your stereotypical 
lesbian woman so that he can dupe a gay woman to sleeping with him. In another episode, he brags about filming hundreds of women having sex without their permission. And then he says, I think at one point I actually sold a woman. I didn't speak the language, but I shook a guy's hand. He gave me the keys to a Mercedes and I left her there. And then the tape goes, <laughs> yeah, was that ever okay? Like, Did women who have experienced sexual trauma ever think that was okay? Do, did Chinese people watching it ever think it was okay when the all white cast dressed up as Chinese people and put on very heavy accents? Did plus-size people ever think it was okay when Ted, the main guy, breaks up with the woman he's dating because she used to be fat and he's grossed out by this? Was it ever okay? Or do we just have more exposure now to minority voices weighing in on the cultural conversation? No, it was always structurally violent. It was. It was... It was I, it, I just saw an incredible show by Grace Petrie. Some of you will know her protesting and she his show's called butcher do about nothing it was in edinburgh i don't know if you saw it absolutely incredible and she she tells the story she says for her growing up in the 90s she said it wasn't so much being gay which her parents were you know accepting of it was being butch and she tells the story of uh as you know, watching every bit of lesbian content the lesbians on the screen the rev events they were always very femme and she said so the the first lesbian wedding was uh ross's ex-wife uh on friends and she said but i watched these two beautiful femme women or beautiful in the eyes of the patriarchy you know femme women getting married and she said as, as a butch young butch person i i didn't see myself represented until there's a butch lesbian who comes up at the wedding and asks Phoebe to dance and everybody laughs and she said the entire joke is that someone like that would dare ask Phoebe to dance and Phoebe I recently re-watched it having heard about it and Phoebe says oh yeah that'd be right she says do you want to go and get a drink or something and she says oh yeah that'd be really lovely and Phoebe clearly doesn't understand that this woman is actually asking her out in a romantic way and she said as a kid she said I it broke my heart because I was like, I'm never going to be able to ask a girl out or to dance. Everyone will laugh. The impact of that is I never even noticed that. Never even. I was thinking, well, it's really great that before gay marriages or equal marriage was, was even legal in any part of America, they were showing this, what was effectively must have been a commitment ceremony. That's a big step forward. But I'm not, if you're not in that position, you don't know what a punch in the stomach it is. It's tough with older stuff because then you. Uh, this I, I grew up with Little Britain and I like I remember quoting it obsessively at school, and um I think I'm not sure how I feel about them taking it offline like off air and I think there is a conversation to be had about stuff that's that was made before or like in the before times I don't know like ten years ago fifteen twenty years ago and just say like we can watch this with a critical eye now and just say actually I don't like you can't do that anymore and I don't think it was ever acceptable. It's just that the narrative has changed a little bit. Um, it's tough to turn around and just be like, no, let's remove that, that from Netflix. Let's take it off iPlayer. You can never watch it. Do not speak of it. It's just small Britain forevermore. <laughs> I mean, the past is problematic, but also any request for progress now is the request for now to be problematic tomorrow. You can't have progress and then go, we want the whole of history to reflect now. Like, it can't.
do have louder minority voices calling it out now, which is probably why we're more aware of yeah. of it now. Um, and, you know, we have social media. They have easier outlets. There are, there are far easier outlets to call it out. I think a uh, key example of a louder minority group was when Jimmy Carr's Netflix special was released late last year. Uh, in the show, he made a joke. I don't know. A joke when he said, uh, when people talk about the Holocaust, they talk about the tragedy and horror of six million Jewish lives being lost to the Nazi war machine, but they never mention the thousands of gypsies that were killed by the Nazis. No one ever wants to talk about that because no one ever wants to talk about the positives. And this is in a 2020, 2021 special, I think. And, you know, when actually this media storm was happening um, about this joke, this line. Um, you know, I was at a, a family gathering and a lot of people in the older generation of my family are going, it's just a joke, it's a joke. That's what people do on Netflix comedy specials. And a lot of people in the younger generations were going, how is it funny to talk about genocide in that way? That's not funny. And I kind of thought, I don't know, I feel like the only people who can say whether it's funny or not are people from that community from the Gypsy Roma Traveller community. I think one of the difficulties is that, like, obviously, we, we can all go, oh, you can decide whether or not that's funny. I think the thing is that if we accept that the narrative is that you can just make a joke about a minority group and a whole room of people and a major streaming service aren't going to say, oh, do you know what? I'm not sure we should put that. I think we can probably cut that joke. And it's the fact that that's gone through layers and layers of production and a whole room. And it seems that it's totally acceptable for him to make that joke. Yeah, and he's not with laugh. no question at all. Yeah. And people still and people go, well, they, they found it funny in the room. I'm sure there were a number of people who didn't find it funny as well. And it's that it's still totally like, OK, when no one's going to at some point say, Do you know what? If we've got to cut seven minutes from this special, which they potentially did let's cut that joke, actually. We don't want this on our service. And it's still, it's perpetuating ex like acceptable racism, which I think that some people in this country do still have about gypsies. And I think that maybe uh, some people did find it funny in the room, but you don't know whether that's nervous laughter or whatever. And I just, uh, I guess as a corporate thing, responsibility, I'm not sure whether uh, like Netflix have got, ever got a thing where they go, no, actually, we're going to blanket stop that. I don't think they do, but yeah, louder voices. Sometimes people say, well, it's just not funny. And my response to that is if it really isn't funny, it's not dangerous, it's not powerful. There is no, there's no danger in non-sticky comedy. <laughs> so sometimes I see some new act, Edgelord, <laughs> Room Bump Pub, and he's doing ghastly, disgusting just references about sexual assault and just horrible things. Deborah, this is very triggering, actually. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. Has just been at the Edinburgh Fringe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel your pain. <laughs> and no one's laughing. The audience is like, uh, 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 and and he doesn't know how to construct a joke well because it is always a he. And <laughs> <laughs> let's be honest about who it is. Uh, and he doesn't know how to construct a joke well. And I I show no concern for that because none of his jokes will be later used as hand grenades and missiles. Um, and in fact, whenever young edgy edgelord comedians chat to me, I say to them, if you're not very good, you don't really need to worry about social responsibility <laughs> because nobody is going to repeat your jokes. No, they're not like little handy, you know, racist or misogynistic or homophobic 
um, missiles that can be put out into the world. If you're good, if you're really good, and the better you get, the more you have to think, how could this, which is just a laugh in the room, it's a shock laugh in the room. I don't think Jimmy Carr cares either way about Roma people, about traveling people. I don't, I don't think he cares about those people. I don't think he knows anybody, and I don't think he hates them, and I don't think he cares. What he's doing is saying the, most, the, the, the worst thing he can get away with to make people laugh at his bravado. And he doesn't see that when he releases that stone in his slingshot, at he, as, it, as it propels forward and goes over the heads of his audience, he just sees the laugh. Look what I got away with and that thrill and how funny I am to say this shocking thing and to be able to get a laugh from it. He doesn't see that it goes outside the studio, keeps traveling, keeps traveling, and all of the people watching Netflix get, hear that as well, and the millions of people around the world that watch it. And then he doesn't see where it lands, because I tell you where it lands. It lands outside a, a traveling population's camp where some teenage kids whose dads have said, slur, have made slurs about those Roma people and said horrible things about them, because in this country, Amnesty International have said that the most marginalized group of any group in this country, the, the, the group that is suffering the most structural racism and the group that part of that policing bill was designed to destroy is traveling Roma people. So those people don't need people shouting out of cars a version of that joke that makes life significantly worse for them. That is what Jimmy Carr doesn't get. That, that joke will get repeated because what I've been hearing as well is, is that these jokes are being thrown around in school playgrounds and it can be really difficult to be a kid from that background. And a lot of them, because of the bullying, will be taken out of school and homeschooled. A lot of people might react and be expelled. And something that's really sad that came up again and again with people who I interviewed from this background is like, oh, you know, we just, we know how to cope because any kid any Romani kid, any Roma kid is raised being told by their parents that you just keep who you are inside. You be quiet about where you come from because otherwise people will treat you differently. And that is resulting in a real mental health crisis and a suicide epidemic among youth members of that community. And so it's not the question, is it funny? It's what does it do in the real world? And if it's a well-constructed joke, that surprises you, and it does a twist, which is what Jimmy Carr always does. If Jimmy Carr's jokes are pretty much all constructed the same way. He's great at writing jokes. He writes a really, he's, he, write, he writes a really clever joke that makes you laugh because he pulls the rug. So he's a really good craftsman in terms of gags. And that's why when he chooses to write about people that are already having a, a, a structurally violent slash uh, physically violent experience uh it 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 adds weight to that camp people who yeah it, people sitting at home i i hate them that joke now becomes part of their arsenal doesn't matter whether he's racist doesn't matter where ricky whether ricky gervais is transphobic because some people are because yeah also like when i started it was a big thing that someone was like just don't punch down you can always take the piss out of someone who is structurally more privileged than you 
And so you have to recognize what your place is in that structure and, and go, you, right, I can take the piss out of this and I can do this. And I, it's not like I don't take the piss out of certain things when I'm, when I'm on stage, but I I'm, I'm so careful about like certain things and also then just get a few people to check it over and just say like, because I, I, uh, as a cis woman and also in my 30s, I talk a lot about like dating and things. And I went through with uh, someone who's probably a little bit more literate about trans issues and said, how can I make this a little bit more inclusive? Just not because I think it was particularly offensive, but just to go like, okay, how how can I make all of this just sound a little bit more nuanced for someone who isn't cis because I'm, I can only write from my own experience. And I think it just was that joke from Jimmy Carr felt quite cheap. Like he could have probably written, he's a very, very skilled writer, very skilled comedian, and he could have written something that, or you know, one minute of material that could have done a million other things, but instead it was just like, oh, did you have to? Like, did you really have to? Isabel, the problem is, how do you punch up if you're on four million pounds, <laughs> a Netflix special, and you are asked to play the prime minister's son's birthday party? They're your friends. There is nowhere to punch up because they are not anymore in the position that really jesters were in, which is you're, you're a bit lowly and marginalized and you're like pointing at all of the ridiculousness. That's really what the stand-up comedian is. Now stand-up comedians are kings and gods. How do they punch up? And therefore they punch in every single direction and they just don't care where it lands. So then really is, is part of the, the issue that there is such a significant, there's, there's usually one type of person doing comedy and I know it has diversified a lot over the last, I don't know, 10-ish years. Uh, but is, is that part of the problem that we usually get those jokes from one certain type of person who's usually a man, probably white, probably middle class? I know that there, I, th I think there are some incredible posh white male comics that, are d that aren't choosing to use their power recklessly. I yeah. think that's, that's the case. I do think the push for diversity in comedy and the successful push for diversity in comedy, which we've both been part of, has, is a wonderful thing. And it's changing the face of comedy. God, in Edinburgh, I saw some great shows this year. I saw some people with opinions. I saw some people who had different life experiences. I'm very interested in hearing jokes about transitioning from a trans person. So I'm sure it's really funny. I am not at all interested in hearing jokes about transitioning from a man like Ricky Gervais, yeah. who is colonial in his comedy. He, it's, it's, like, it's like white men going into India, smashing everything up, laughing at turbans, laughing at, isn't this funny the way they do everything? And then going, oh, verandas and pajamas are good, we'll take those home. <laughs> like, fuck <laughs> off. It's not your place, Ricky Gervais. This is not your world. You don't understand it. You don't have any investment in it. You just think it's funny. You just point and laugh. You're colonial. What we really want to ask then is, can a comedian actually be cancelled? Yeah, and, and what do you do in this situation? Because Jimmy Carr faced a lot of vicious criticism online and saw himself as having been cancelled. Like Dave Chappelle had... Uh, Netflix walkout when his comedy stand-up in 2019 made jokes that were pretty nasty about trans people, Chinese people, child abuse, and Netflix ground down, backed him up, and he won the Grammy for the best comedy album, but he said that he had been cancelled. Um, and then when venues do actually cancel, like 
Helena, what happened with uh, Jerry Sadowitz, the Fringe? Yeah, so I think one of the most recent examples people might point to is that at the Fringe this year, a comedian called Jerry Sadowitz had his, he did was doing a two-night uh, show. His second show was cancelled after, in his first, first show, there were a lot of complaints about him using the P-word for uh, Rishi Sunak and also flashing his penis to the front row of the yeah. audience. Which may or may not have been a, a prostate, uh, uh, not prostate, sorry, a, a prosthetic penis. But yeah, so he, he was cancelled, well, the show was cancelled, and then there's a fact about that, but there's cancellation looks different to different people. Like, what is it? And Just a small, small little side note. Jerry Sadowitz and I have the same PR, and apparently his um, ticket sales for his other venues doubled after that. So yeah. I heard that. He okay. sold out the whole run yeah, around sold the, out the whole run. So I rather wonder if that wasn't a publicity stunt. Not so cancelled now, is he? Yeah. I thought it was a possibly a publicity stunt. But this is it. There is an obvious contradiction of, you know, uh, people standing up and saying, I'm so cancelled to the on the Netflix stand-up show. Yeah. Like, it doesn't exist. Is it a thing? I don't think, because also, like, the thing is, ultimately, the venue... The venue cancelled him. The venue cancelled one performance of his. He had one performance, and I guess there is the whole thing of like, right, well, previously you could have said that and got away with it for years and years and years, and now suddenly someone has said, you know what, that's not acceptable in our house. Like, and that's that's the line they've taken, for better or worse. And I don't personally, I I agree with it, but then I I see that a lot of people don't agree with it, and I uh, absolutely horrified. And my PR said to me, with I said, well. I mean, he could have just not said that word, and did he really need to get his dick out? You know, it's questions we all ask ourselves. <laughs> um, I actually get my dick out the whole way through. No, but um, and the the my PR was like, oh, I expect no racism and sexism in, in your show then, and I was like, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, like you you won't be getting any. So, um, but it just feels a little bit. I'm sorry, it just sounds really whiny to me. I'm like, I can't say that anymore, and my show got cancelled because I said something racist, and I'm like, well. All right, what did you want? Like, were you expecting not to be? We've always not been able to say things anymore. Yeah. This is, it, it, it's, where people are acting like this is a new phenomenon. Go back and watch some 70s comedy. Seriously, go back and watch Love Thy Neighbor. There's a reason it is not repeated anymore. As society progresses and minority groups fight for their rights, fewer and fewer things are available to say about those minority groups that are pejorative. That's always been the case. It's always been the case. If you if you don't believe that, go back and look at some literature that we don't look at anymore That because it, it's fallen out of the canon because it's racist. It's fallen out of the canon because it's overly misogynistic. That's always happened. It, it, it's because art reflects the society it's in. That's just always happened. But now it happens more quickly because we can see this big response on social media. But, but what I notice is... Ugh, some of these edgelord comics, not to harp on Ricky Gervais, but also to harp on Ricky Gervais, what I don't see Ricky Gervais saying is, I don't see him using any slurs for gay people, and I don't see him saying anything homophobic, even though when he was young, that was common in comedy, and that was popular in comedy. He doesn't do that now, because society would, as um, the majority of society would go, ooh. What he does is he plays with the edge of progress, so where's the progress? Where's the progress? And can I mock that? Can I mock that progress before most people have decided? Yeah, we don't want to be like that. He's not using he's not using racist words. So I I think these guys are clever, 
I think it's always been there. It's very generous of you. <laughs> but I think they're clever about this. They're strategic. They're strategic because they're choosing, because they're not saying anything. They're not going, oh, they're not going, I just want to be, I think comedy, we should be allowed to say anything. They're not, they're not using, Ricky Gervais is never going to use the N word. He's never going to, he's never going to use it. Jerry Sadovitz is much less successful and much less famous and much less well paid because he does. So actually it, what you're kind of saying is it's not just we're making these jokes because freedom of speech. It's, and because they're funny, it's we are making the jokes that are at the brink of unacceptability because that is our brand. Yes. That's all from this series of Media Storm, but we're cooking up some exciting plans for Series 3, so see you in the new year. Make sure you listen to the latest episode of The Guilty Feminist, live from Auckland, featuring Cal Wilson, Mei Chen and Grace Petrie. And if you want to find out more about what we spoke about in this episode, one of MediaStorm's investigations this season looked at the rise in hate, targeting Gypsy, Roma and Traveller people. If you haven't heard it, do go and listen for some lived experience insight into the impact of jokes like Jimmy Carr's. Just scroll back on our feed and find our episode, Gypsy, Roma, Traveller. Why is prejudice on the rise? From me and Helena, a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year.